Alright, how's everybody doing? Hotep, how's everybody doing today? Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network. Okay, let's get things started here. Uh, we're broadcasting live. Alright, so we should be on uh, Facebook, our Facebook fan page, the African History Network. And it looks like we're on YouTube now also. Alright, how's everybody doing today? Hey, it is uh, Sunday, June 30th, 2019, and uh, June is gone also. We're halfway through the year. This is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, and writer. So, I have to do my radio show uh, every Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And, uh, you know, on the Sunday, June 23rd uh, installment of the show, I talked about the H.R. Uh, 40 um, reparations hearing that took place on Wednesday, June 19th, 2019. And uh, there were some topics I did not get a chance to talk, to, talk about. And I've talked about this topic here briefly on my radio show in the past. And for those that don't know, I'm on every Sunday, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, WFDF in Detroit. We broadcast here on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network. And we upload the videos to our YouTube channel, also Michael M. Hotel. All right. So um, I wanted to talk about this piece of history that's not talked about a lot and this dealt with when uh, the US government paid reparations to uh, US slave owners in Washington Washington DC in Washington DC and this took place during the US Civil War okay um, this bill was signed on April 16 1862 by then US President Abraham Lincoln and the U.S. government paid 930 slave owners in Washington, D.C. reparations for 2,989 enslaved Africans that were being set free, but they didn't provide reparations for the enslaved Africans. So this also ties into the larger narrative when it comes to reparations in H.R. 40 and dealing with this history as well, okay? So we're going to jump into this. All right, everybody share this broadcast on your Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in. Also, African-American business owners, post the name of your business here on the thread of the broadcast. We'll let you know how you can advertise with the, uh, with the African History Network. Email us at customerservice at africanhistorynetwork.com. Customerservice at africanhistorynetwork.com. All right. And... Um, also, we'll let you know uh, about the new online course that I'm teaching, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. That uh, meets uh, on Wednesday nights, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we deal with thousands of years of history uh, in that online course also. So we'll post the link here, and it's at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, on the homepage, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right, so let's um, let's jump into this. All right, a New York Times has a good article dealing with this history, and I'm also going to reference uh, Library of Congress website and archives.gov. Uh, Tara Hunter, 
uh, who, uh, Dr. Tara Hunter, who's a professor of American history and African American studies, uh, wrote an article April 16, 2019, for uh, the New York Times dealing with this history, okay? And also, uh, one of the first articles I saw about this was from uh, NewsOne.com from uh, May 31st, 2014. May 31st, 2014, written by Kirsten West Savali when she used to write for uh, News One, then she went to The Root. Uh, Kirsten West Savali wrote an article entitled, Did You Know U.S. Government Paid Reparations to Slave Owners? Did You Know U.S. Government Paid Reparations to Slave Owners? Okay. So here's what happened. Remember, this is during the second year of the U.S. Civil War, which started April 12, 1861, okay, with the attack on South Carolina. Uh, on April 16, 1862, President Abraham Lincoln signed a bill emancipating enslaved people in Washington, D.C., the end of a long struggle, okay, but to ease slave owners' pain, the name of the bill was called District of Columbia Emancipation Act. The District of Columbia Emancipation Act, right? But to ease slave owners' pain, the District of Columbia Emancipation Act paid those loyal to the Union up to $300 for every enslaved person freed. But it didn't give reparations to enslaved Africans. Okay, I find this interesting. And, and once again, you, you've heard me talk about Abraham Lincoln before, right? When, when Malcolm X said that uh, Lincoln used freeing the slaves as a political football, uh, he was correct, because Lincoln was not an abolitionist. Even though Lincoln thought slavery was morally wrong, contrary to what they teach our children in school about Lincoln, Lincoln was not an abolitionist, okay? Um... And also, Lincoln said that he would do, uh, you know, March 4th, 1861, at his inaugural address, all right? He said that he had no intention of freeing, freeing the slaves in states where slavery still existed. Now, this is a few months before the, I'm sorry, this is uh, the month before the Civil War starts. And this was the month after seven states had seceded from the Union. So the first state to secede from the Union is South Carolina, uh, December 20th, 1860. South Carolina thinks that Lincoln is going to free the enslaved Africans because Lincoln became president-elect about six weeks prior to that on uh, November 6th, 1860. Lincoln becomes president-elect of this newly formed political party called the Republican Party that was founded in 1854 by groups of abolitionists. So Lincoln becomes president-elect. The southern states are afraid that Lincoln is going to free the enslaved Africans. And they have billions of dollars of wealth invested in these four million enslaved Africans. So South Carolina becomes the first state to secede from the Union, okay, on um, April, uh, on uh, December 20th, 1860. By February of 1861, the following year, you're going to have some other states that secede from the Union as well. You're going to have six other states that uh, secede from the Union. Then, because of this secession, 
March 4th, 1861, Lincoln deliver, delivers his inaugural address. And he's trying to give comfort to and reassurance to the slaveholding states that he's not going to free their enslaved Africans, which takes away their wealth. But they don't buy it. And you're going to have more states secede from, from the Union for a total of 11. But that following month, on April 12, 1861, the U.S. Civil War is going to start with the uh, attack on Fort Sumter in South Carolina. Okay? And remember, South Carolina was also the first state to secede from the Union as well. So, in 1862, the following year, the year after the Civil War starts, you have uh, Lincoln signing this bill. Okay, so the bill passes Congress, the District of Columbia Emancipation Act. All right, and it paid up to $300 to slave owners for every enslaved African that they set free. So there, was, there were a total of 2,989 enslaved Africans set free. The slave owners got reparations, but the enslaved Africans did not. So, you know, that's, so when you study this history, you, you sit back, you know, and it's a little perplexing. Especially the way that the history is taught in schools today, because most of, mo mo most of our, our children don't know this history about this uh, Emancipation Act, one. Two, most of our children in schools don't know that Lincoln was not an abolitionist, okay? And this is why this book, this is why this study right here is so important. You hear me talk about it, and I'm, I'm using it now in, in the online course that I teach as well, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they've been teaching in school. This is Teaching Hard History American Slavery, Teaching Hard History American Slavery, from the Southern Poverty Law Center, okay? We'll post the link so you can download this. But this is a 52-page study that documents how the history of slavery is being incorrectly taught in schools all across the country, American schools all across the country. And as part of the study, one of the things they did was a, a survey of 1,000 high school seniors, a survey of 1,000 high school seniors. It was an online survey. And they found that of uh, 1,000 high school seniors surveyed, only 8% knew that slavery was the central reason why the Civil War was fought. Only 8% knew that slavery was the central reason why the Civil War was fought, right? So when we talk about Ta-Nehisi Coates' fantastic article in The Atlantic, the June 2014 issue of The Atlantic, called The Case for Reparations, where he digs deep into this history and he shows how the legacy of slavery, Reconstruction, Jim Crow segregation, redlining, uh, housing discrimination, how it negatively impacts African Americans today. When you have schools that are miseducating children, not just African American children, white children, Hispanics, Asians, period, miseducating them, and not correctly teaching this history, it has wide-ranging, long-term negative impacts because these people are going to grow up to become police officers. They're going to grow up to become prosecuting attorneys. They'll be uh, business owners. They'll be CEOs of corporations. They'll be uh, uh, 
elected officials, and one of them is going to be president. One of them is going to be president, and they can't be as ignorant of history as a future president as the current president is. So this is extremely, extremely important. Everybody share this broadcast. Thanks for tuning in. How's everybody doing? I have Kathleen, Sylvia, Terry, Alex, uh, just a few of the people watching on uh, Facebook and then on YouTube. We've got uh, uh, Latasha. How you doing, Latasha? I sent you, I sent you the email, Latasha, so you can uh, enroll in the online course. Uh, Arlene, uh, who's this, Fly, uh, Makiba, just a few of the people on our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P on YouTube. And on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, okay? All right, let's continue. If you need me to post a link so you can register for our online course that I teach in this class is Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Let me know. I'll post that also. And as soon as you register, there's 36 hours of bonus content you can watch. And you can watch the first two classes also because even though we do it live, the classes are archived. Okay, so that's some background history of this, right? So... Uh, the slave owners got reparations, enslaved African Americans got nothing for their generations of stolen bodies, snatched children, and expropriated labor other than their mere release from legal bondage. Okay? And the, and the other thing that we have to understand, and this is something I talked about in Wednesday's class, there were at least 262 skills, trades, and crafts that African people had in this country from 1619 to 1865. There are at least 262 skills, trades, and crafts. So people think mistakenly that all enslaved Africans did was cook the master's food, take care of the master's children, and pick cotton. Even though that did happen, we were the basket makers, the blacksmiths, the coppersmiths, the agriculturalists. We tended to the livestock. We were engineers, we were bricklayers, we were hemp baggers, okay? Oh, we worked in sawmills, we worked in coal mines, uh, on the railroad, all, all the type of dangerous work. There were at least 262 skills, trades, and crafts that African people had in this country from 1619 to 1865. And that labor was exploited. Not only did we build the U.S. Capitol building, we also built the White House. The majority of the labor that built the White House was labor from enslaved Africans and free African Americans. That was the majority of the labor. That's not me. That's the White House Historical Society. The White House Historical Society. And a lot of people learned about this going back to, I think it was June of 2016 at the Democratic National Convention. And then First Lady, and our First Lady for life as far as most African Americans are concerned, uh, <laughs> Michelle Obama, she talked about waking up in a house built by slaves. Well, that night, many people on social media went crazy. Many white people on social media went crazy. Not all of them. But you had a lot of, you had a lot of them on social media that went crazy and said she was lying and that the White House was not built by slaves. That night, because I, I was online and I was watching it, that night and the next day, numerous articles were written documenting this history and how the majority of the labor that built the White House was built by enslaved Africans 
and free African Americans. Yes, you had some white people building it. I'm talking about the White House in Washington, D.C. The first White House was in Philadelphia because the first capital was in Philadelphia. So George Washington, the first president under the U.S. Constitution, not the Continental Congress, but the U.S. Constitution, George Washington did not live at the White House in Washington, D.C. He lived at the one in Philadelphia. Okay, this is one of the reasons, and, and, and because the capital was in Philadelphia, this is, this is one of the reasons why they want to move it to Washington, D.C. It's not the only reason, but one of them, because in, in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania, they had the Pennsylvania Gradual Abolition Act of 1780. And this act was moving towards abolishing slavery in Pennsylvania, Okay. See, you got to understand, by the time the U.S. Constitution is signed in 1787, five states have already abolished slavery. The first one to abolish slavery was Massachusetts in 1783. Incidentally, Massachusetts was also the first colony to have slave laws of the 13 colonies, the 13 British colonies. Massachusetts was the uh, first one to have slave laws in 1641. So when those 20 Africans come into Jamestown, Virginia, August 20th, 1619 on that white line slave ship. Slave laws don't even exist in the 13 British colonies. That's a whole other conversation. I, I spoke about that when I was at the Juneteenth Festival in Atlanta, June 14th through the 16th uh, of 2019 when I was doing my presentations. That's a whole other history. Okay, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about this in the online course, but I, have left, uh, I just did a lecture dealing with this, dealing with black migration in 1619 and 2019, where I get deep into this history, right? But I'm trying to give you some background historical information for us to understand this and have this conversation, because I understand people are coming to conversations like this with different levels of uh, understanding, understanding of history, okay? So, let me see something here. Um, let me pull up Slaves Built the White House. I'm trying to bring this up here and have this conversation also, okay? <laughs> All right, just give me a minute here. Okay. All right, we'll bring that up. Dealing with uh, Slaves Built the White House. All right, how's everybody doing? Yeah, so when, you know, because this year a lot of people are commemorating August 20th, 1619, Jamestown, Virginia. And they say, well, this is when the first slaves came to this land. Well, one, or they say this is when African people first came here. That's historically inaccurate. African people have been in this land. We call the United States of America going back at least 51,700 years ago. And if you read Dr. David M. Hotep's book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence, he thoroughly documents this, okay? And uh, where the hell is that book? Hold on. Just had it. Some of this stuff is uh, in disarray because I'm getting ready for a radio show tonight. And I don't know where the hell the book is. Hold on. Alright, it'll turn up. I'll find it. There's some one of these stacks here. But the, the first Americans were Africans documented evidence by Dr. David M. Hotel. Okay? So Google his name. 
and his book barely documents an African presence in this country going back at least 51,700 years. So when, even though August 20, 1619, Jamestown, Virginia did happen, We've been here for tens of thousands of years. This was our land stolen from us. This is the most important thing. Yes, the transatlantic slave trade did happen, but you have to understand the chronology of the last 50,000 years of history. Okay? Yes, it did happen. All right? You have a, a African presence of, from ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt here in this land also. There were pyramid mounds, the Khoisan, who have the oldest DNA, the oldest DNA on the planet, who come from southern Africa and go all around the world. They're the ancestors to the Ainu and the Twa. There were a million mounds in this land. Today, there are only about 100,000 left. There were pyramid mounds we built up and down the Mississippi River. So all of this happened. There's a, a African presence from the Africans known as the Moors here. All this, you got the Folsom people who come from Africa as well. Dr. Claude Anderson talks about them. They come here around 13,000 years ago, something like that, the Folsom people. Folsom, Arizona is named after them. Folsom Prison is named after that, after them. So all of this was taking place. And the transatlantic slave trade, which comes thousands of years later, all right? So just because African people were already here does not mean the transatlantic slave trade did not take place. It all happened, but you have to understand a chronology of history. So, you have a lot of people commemorating August 2016-19 and saying, well, this is when the, the African people first came to this land, okay, or African slaves first came here. But many people don't understand that slave laws didn't even exist in the 13 British colonies in 1619. It's going to evolve. It's going to evolve. The first... British colony that has slave laws was Massachusetts in 1641. It comes to Virginia in 1661, right? So we have to understand this history. We have to understand this chronology of history, okay? All right, so let's continue here. And uh, we'll post the link here uh, again to see. You can register for the online course that I'm teaching. Uh, next class is uh, Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, you can watch all around the world. Also, we'll post that. Um, we'll post the link here. Okay. So let's continue. But uh, White House Historical Society has the article, and we'll post it. Did slaves build the White House? Did slaves slaves build the White House? WhiteHouseHistory.org White is the website, WhiteHouseHistory.org. And what happened was, is because of what Michelle Obama said, all these articles were written documenting this history. Even Bill O'Reilly, when he was still on Fox News, he had to do a show to admit she was telling the truth. Because so many of his, of his viewers were saying she was lying. Okay? Now... What I find hard to believe, and I, I, I did a lecture back at that time talking about it, I was like, wait a second. There were millions of people watching the Democratic National Convention. Michelle Obama is a very intelligent, educated woman. You think she's going to stand up here in front of millions of people watching and lie about some history that's easily verifiable. But once again, this is an example of how people are miseducated about history. White people are miseducated about history. African Americans are miseducated about history because the history is not being properly taught in the schools. 
This is why this study here, Teaching Hard History of American Slavery, is so important. Okay, from the Southern Poverty Law Center. You can go to their website, splcenter.org, splcenter.org, and you can download it. But you've heard me say before, if we're ever going to get reparations, America needs a massive history lesson because Americans are woefully ignorant of history. If we're ever going to get reparations, Americans need a massive history lesson because Americans are woefully ignorant of history, and it's by design. Okay? All right, let's continue here. All right, and we have... Uh, People watching on our, our YouTube channel also. Okay, let's go back to uh, the New York Times article. So, the compensation clause is not likely to be celebrated today. Okay, compensation clause of the District of Columbia Emancipation Act. All right. Oh, I was talking about the. Um, I got a bunch of things going through my mind. Um, I was talking about the Philadelphia, I was talking about the, the Pennsylvania Abolition Act of 1780, okay? The Pennsylvania Abolition Act of 1780. That's, where, that's when we started going into these other topics. The, white, the new White House was being built in Washington, D.C. One of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why is because when the uh, delegates were meeting in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania, well, in Philadelphia, where the first White House was. Because of the um, Pennsylvania Abolition Act of 1780, and because of the Quakers, when these delegates are going in, and these senators, things like this, when they're going in to Pennsylvania, a lot of the slaves are disappearing. A lot of the slaves are running away. A lot of the slaves are being helped to run away because of the Quakers, but also the law stated in Pennsylvania that if a slave was in that state for six months, they would automatically be free. This was the Pennsylvania Gradual Abolition Act of 1780. And what George Washington would do, because he was living in Philadelphia at the, at the White House there in Philadelphia, now his plantation Mount Vernon is in Virginia, but he's living, since he's the sitting president, he's living at the White House in Philadelphia. So what he would do was, he would rotate his slaves that he had in Philadelphia, he would rotate them out every six months before they reach that six-month threshold and would become free. This is what he would rotate them out and send them back to Mount Vernon in many cases and bring some new slaves. To keep them enslaved. Um, Dr. Erica Armstrong Dunbar wrote an article a few years ago for the New York Times called George Washington Slave Catcher, where she talks about this. George Washington Slave Catcher. People need to read that article. As a matter of fact, when they have uh, current events at your child's school, because I remember when I was in school, like in world history class, we had current events, so we would bring in three articles talk about that recently happened take that article in and see what happened kids should take these articles in stuff like this they should take these articles in and talk about them in school oh what you 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 mean I can't talk about George Washington that's what you're gonna tell me you know see, see if, I, if I was in school if I was back in school today I'd be dangerous I'm telling you if I was back in school today 
man, I'd be dangerous, you know. And I wouldn't. I'm like, boy, hold on. You said we could bring in articles, right? Okay, so I got one here on uh, this white supremacist that was sentenced to prison and life in prison for killing Heather Hare. I got one here on George Washington slave catching. Then I got one here of uh, Donald Trump praising General Robert E. Lee. And General Robert E. Lee was a brutal slave owner who committed treason against the government. Now, you're going to give me an F today? You're going to tell me I can't talk about this stuff? This is all, this is all easily verifiable. Is that what you're trying to tell me? See? But then you try all this stuff, NBC, ABC, News, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, all this stuff easily verifiable. Now, you trying to tell me I can't talk about this? This is history. This, 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 these are current events. You trying to tell me I can't talk about this? <laughs> but see, that's, that's what our children should do. I'm serious. Be respectful. But the, now, you going to tell them they can't talk about what Trump said about General Robert E. Lee? Oh, Oh, <laughs> they gonna have a real problem on their hands, right? When they when they try to censor our children, telling the truth, and it's documented in the white media. All right, let's continue. <laughs> I don't want to get any kids in trouble. <laughs> All right. Carl said, "Yes, we would be expelled the very next day." They gonna have a real fight on their hands. They try to do something like that. All right, so uh, the District of Columbia Emancipation Act is notable because it was the first time that the federal government authorized the abolition of slavery, which hastened, hastened or sped up its demise in Virginia and Maryland as runaways from these states fled to Washington, right? So when they abolished, so check this out. When they abolished slavery, see, we weren't stupid. We were born at night, but not last night. So this is during the Civil War in 1862. You have border states that are still allowed to keep their slaves, okay? Maryland, Delaware, Kentucky, Missouri. They stayed loyal to the Union, but they were still allowed to keep their slaves. So when... Um, the Emancipation Proclamation is issued January 1st, 1863. You still got a million slaves in the Union. Because these states stay loyal to the Union. Maryland, Delaware, Missouri, Kentucky. They, they, they were slaveholding states, but they stayed loyal to the Union. So they were allowed to keep their slaves until the Civil War ended. So what's going to happen is, is you got enslaved Africans in these in these states like Virginia. Now Virginia joins the Confederacy, right? But since now Washington DC is free land and it is is a free territory. Okay? Because it wasn't DC was not a state. It's a district. Now it's free territory. Now you got enslaved Africans. We hear this, so we're gonna run away to Washington DC. Okay? <laughs> so as the debate about reparations for slavery intensifies, as it intensifies today, right? It is important to remember that slave owners, far more than the slave people, were always the primary beneficiaries of public largesse or when it came to reparations being paid, things like this, compensation. It was the slave owners who were uh, 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 usually the beneficiaries of this, okay? So the 
District of Columbia Emancipation Act of 1862 is notable because it was the first time that the federal government authorized the abolition of slavery which sped up its demise in Virginia and Maryland as runaways from these states fled to Washington DC it offered concrete proof to enslaved people and their allies that the federal government might facilitate the destruction of slavery everywhere so this gave us some hope you know this 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 gave us some hope and i can i can understand you know enslaved africans not i mean see we when we look at this history we have the we have the benefit of hindsight. So we know Civil War came, the Reconstructions from 1865 to 1877, and you're going to have like the Civil Rights Act of 1875 is going to be struck down by the U.S. Supreme Court in 1883. Then you go into Plessy versus Ferguson in 1896, and then you have a renewed era of terror. Then we go into uh, World War I in 1914, the Great Migration starting about 1915, World War II, Civil Rights Movement. You know, so we, we have that hindsight to understand that chronology of history. They don't know none of this. They just know we try and get the hell out of here. They don't know, they, this, this don't exist back then. They just know we trying to get the hell out of here. We want to be free. Okay, so it offered concrete proof to enslaved people and their allies that the federal government, federal government might facilitate the destruction of slavery everywhere. And it confirmed the worst fears of their foes about an interloping, tyrannical president, Abraham Lincoln. This is one of the reasons why, you know, and, and, and you have, um, this is during the Civil War, once again, 1862, right? And this is what the southern states, those states that seceded from the Union and formed the Confederate States of America, the CSA, this is what they were fearing. Because they had somewhere between $4 billion to $5 billion invested in these 4 million enslaved Africans. They had billions of dollars invested in them. When you read the statements of secession, when you read the statements of secession of the slaveholding states, uh, uh, I'm sorry, of the states that secede from the Union, they talk about how slavery was essential to their way of life. This is why they were seceding from the Union to maintain slavery. They talk about how slavery was essential to their way of life. And they were trying to maintain that. Okay? So all this uh, history is extremely important. Uh, okay, so Abraham Lincoln, however, was anxious to preserve his fragile alliance with loyal slaveholders. His fragile alliance with loyal slaveholders. He, he advocated abolition of slavery in Washington, D.C. in 1849, okay, as a congressman. To no avail, however, okay, to no avail. As president, he encouraged the border states, the border states, to voluntarily end slavery. He chose Delaware as an ideal place to take the lead in late 1861. Delaware is one of those border states. Delaware is one of those states that stayed loyal to the Union and, and they were allowed to keep their slaves. Delaware, Maryland, Missouri, Kentucky. Kentucky. Okay? But it became clear that Union slave owners could not be so easily persuaded. So he's dealing with 
slave owners in the South who seceded from the Union, and he's dealing with slave owners in the North who stayed loyal to the Union. But it became clear that Union slave owners could not be so easily persuaded. This reinforced the need to make congressional emancipation conditioned on compensating them, which put abolitionists in a bind. They welcomed the end of slavery in the capital, Washington, D.C., but chafed at payments that validated the right to own property in the form of human beings. Okay, Now, William Lloyd Garrison, who was basically the leading white abolitionist at that time, William Lloyd Garrison said, quote, if compensation is to be given at all, it should be given to the outraged and guiltless slaves and not to those who have plundered and abused them. Okay, he said this at the National Anti-Slavery Convention in Philadelphia in 1833. Now, moderate anti-slavery advocates like Abraham Lincoln did not agree. To the contrary, they believed that any manumission plan had to placate or, or appease property rights that were buttressed by the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which required, quote-unquote, just compensation, just compensation for government seizure of private assets. So the, the U.S. Constitution sanctioned slavery. Article 1, Section 9 of the U.S. Constitution, okay, outlawed the transatlantic, it stated that the earliest the transatlantic slave trade could be outlawed was in 1808. This is why March 2nd, 1807, the U.S. Congress passed a law to ban the international, uh, the, ban the, you know, the international transatlantic slave trade, which banned African people coming into this country as slaves, but it still allowed slavery to exist within the U.S. Okay, and the slave, uh, the auction of enslaved Africans. The plantations, slave labor, it allowed that to continue. It banned the importation of enslaved Africans. That law was passed March 2nd, 1807. It went to effect January 1st, 1808. Okay. Article 4, Section 2 of the U.S. Constitution lays the foundation for the fugitive slave laws. All right. So the U.S. Constitution uh, sanctioned slavery, even though at the Philadelphia Convention, in the spring of 1787, five states had already outlawed slavery by then. You have this debate taking place at the Philadelphia Convention. Should we keep maintaining slavery or abolish it? That led to Article 1, Section 9 being put in. Okay? That put it, that uh, stated that they will wait 20 years to outlaw the importation of African people as slaves. That comes from that debate between those who want to abolish slavery and those who want to maintain slavery. Alright, so, but Lincoln's arguing, and Lincoln was an attorney also, we know, Lincoln is arguing that based upon the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, the U.S. government is, is required to give just compensation for government seizure of private assets. So Lincoln appointed a board of commissioners to oversee the process of compensation. The Board of Commissioners was headed by the North Carolina abolitionist and New York Times writer Daniel Reeves Goodloe, G-O-O-D-L-O-E. Daniel Reeves Goodloe, G-O-O-D-L-O-E. The board reviewed more than 1,000 slave owners 
I'm sorry, 1,000 slaveholders petitions to claim more than 3,000 enslaved people close to entirely uh, close to the entirety of the dwindling population. Now, most of the petitioners received the full amount allowed, which was $300. The largest individual payout was $18,000 for six for 69 enslaved Africans. Now, $18,000, 1862. Then. I mean, I don't know what that translates to, man, but that's a whole lot of money in 1862. So there were a total of um, 930 slave owners who were compensated. Okay, there were a total 930 slave owners who were compensated for a total of 2,989 enslaved Africans. Now, although the District of Columbia Emancipation Act of 1862 marked the only time the federal government would compensate slave owners, there is a longer history of slave owners requesting and receiving and uh, indemnification or compensation for the loss of their chattel. Now we do know after the Civil War ends, after um, 400,000 acres of land because of Special Field Order Number 15 of January 1865, issued by General, General William T. Sherman. This is in, in uh, 400,000 uh, 400, acres of land in South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida, coastal land was allocated to 40,000 African Americans, better known as 40 acres in the mule. President Johnson, who, su who succeeded Lincoln, is going to give the rebels, give the Confederacy a blanket pardon and return that confiscated land back to them also. So even though it wasn't reparations, they're going to, the, 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 those that committed treason against the country are going to have their land returned back to them. And that land is going to be taken from those uh, 40,000 African Americans, okay? The, the majority of the land is going to be taken back. There, there were some cases where it's about, from my research on it, blackpass.org has an article dealing with 40 acres in the mule. There were about 2,000 African Americans that were able to hold on to that land, but the majority of them were going to have that land taken back by the U.S. government. Now, although the District of Columbia Emancipation Act marked the only time the federal government would compensate slave owners, there is a longer history of slave owners requesting and receiving uh, compensation for the loss of their chattel. Slave owners felt entitled to and often received compensation from local colonial, uh, from local colonial and state legislatures, especially in times of crisis when enslaved women and men ran away or participated in rebellion or were executed for crimes. Now during the American Revolutionary War, which is 1775 to 1783, owners, slave owners asked to be compensated when bonds people had died while working in lead mines in Virginia, for example, and when they sided with the British and ran away. Because you had more African Americans, you had more uh, uh, slaves who fought on behalf of the British that fought on behalf of the colonies. Because the British were the first ones who said, if you come fight for us when this war is over, we'll set you free. Okay? So, well, like I said, we were born at night, but not last night. So we, want, we wanted to be free. All right. Um, okay, we have Anita. How's everybody doing? D, uh, $18,000 in 1862 is equivalent to $555,000 a day. Wh wh which calculator did you use for that? Yeah, it, it, I knew it was, it was a lot of money. 
And then, uh, you know, also when you look at Harriet Tubman, you know, Harriet Tubman had a bounty on her head of uh, $40,000 in the 1860s. So, um, that's a lot. So that's what about that's more than a million dollars in today's uh, dollars, okay? All right. Uh, let's continue here. We'll post a link here as well. How do you all like this type of information, okay? How do you all like this type of information? Uh, Facebook and YouTube. How's everybody doing today? And be sure to listen to our radio show, the African History Network show, every Sunday, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh you don't want to miss that. And we broadcast on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, as well. We'll, po we'll post a link here. You can, if you like this type of information, you can register for the online course that I teach, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, What They Didn't Teach You in School, Ancient Kemet, the Moor, which is one of the original names for Egypt, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, What They Didn't Teach You in School. We deal with thousands of years of history. We deal with ancient Egypt, we deal with the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans, Africans known as the Moors and what led to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. It's a eight-session, 16-hour online course, Watch from around the world. We'll do it live on Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Every session is archived. You can go back and watch it over and over again. So when you register, you can watch the first two sessions, plus there's 36 hours of bonus content which includes the last time I taught this class, all those sessions, and that was in September 2017. So there's been more archaeological discoveries since then. More information has come out, so we include that in, in the new course, okay? So the full course is $80, regularly $130. All this stuff is archived. You can go watch it over and over again, okay? And it's also on the homepage of our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. As soon as you start watching, you can. As soon as you register, you can watch uh, the two previous classes and the bonus content also. Okay. All right. Somebody mentioned Dr. Claude Anderson on uh, YouTube, where they say uh, we need to find a way to get Dr. Claude Anderson, like him, hooked up in front of Congress. All right. I got, I called Dr. Claude Anderson. We didn't hear back from him because he um, he looks kind of sick. So I, I, he looks like he's not feeling well. I need to call him again. I called and left a message after the hearing. I want to talk to him about a few things and uh, interview him again, bring him back on my show. But I didn't hear back from him, so I need to check on him because usually, usually he responds to me. Usually, it's uh, usually not like him not to uh, call me back. So I need to check on him. All right, let's continue. Okay, let's continue because I still have the radio show to prepare for. <laughs> but I, I've been wanting to do this broadcast for. Uh, few days now and just been so busy hadn't been able to do it okay so after the American Revolution as northern states carried out gradual emancipation plans compensation was attractive to slave to slave owners seeking to ease their financial burdens okay and we know we all feel sorry for slave owners who had to give up their slaves and lost money you know you know woe is me so the 1804 Gradual Abolition Act in New Jersey, the 1804 Gradual Abolition Act in New Jersey, <coughs> for example, did not free anyone immediately. It allowed children of enslaved women to be treated as quote-unquote apprentices, 
uh, until they reached a certain age and would be free. Now, some people refer to that as slavery by another name. Now, the law, the 1804 Gradual Abolition Act of New Jersey, included a clause that allowed slave owners to gain compensation by letting their slaves or bondspeople go free and then reclaiming them as quote-unquote bound out labor, B-O-U-N-D, bound out labor, which gave them access to state funds for their troubles. Okay, now that's something that's not talked about a lot, the 1804 Gradual Abolition Act of New Jersey. Now, in a breakthrough, in a break from tradition in the 1850s, the abolitionist uh, Elihu uh, Burritt, B-U-R-R-I-T-T, organized the National Compensated Emancipation Convention in Cleveland to advocate payments to slave owners as well as smaller sums of money to be paid to enslaved Africans. Okay, But nothing came of his dual proposal, however. Now, to be sure, the major benefactors of slave owner reparations within the Atlantic uh, slave system were Europeans. When English abolished slavery in its Caribbean colonies, it offered compensation to 46,000 slave owners at the cost of around $26.2 million. You've heard me talk about this before, okay? Uh, AtlantaBlackStar.com has articles about, has an article about this. There have been other articles written about this as well. Um, and I talked about this when I did, I think I talked about this when I, I did that story dealing with the slave Bible, okay, the slave Bible and how it was a version of the Bible used to, uh, it was an edited version of the Bible used to justify slavery. And it's on display at one of the museums in Washington, D.C., the slave Bible. But the British, um, they're, they're going to abolish slavery in 1833 in the British colonies. And they paid um, reparations to 46,000 British slave owners. They did not pay reparations to um, the former slaves, okay? And not only that, they forced them, they forced the former slaves to work um, an additional four years, right? Uh, for something like uh, 40, uh, 40 hours a week but they forced them to do that for free. Okay, so that is, uh, so even though they, and I'm, I'm pulling up this article here for, the, uh, for this also, um, even though the British freed the enslaved Africans at that point, um, they still were profiting from their labor. Let me pull it uh, uh, AtlantaBlackStar.com has an article dealing with this. Let's see. Uh, British compensated 46,000 slave owners but will not pay slavery reparations. This is from 2015. So this was around, this, was, this article was also centering around then Prime Minister David Cameron's visit to Jamaica. And the Jamaicans were one demand, demanding an official apology for slavery because we know Jamaica was a colony of Britain. Two, they were demanding reparations. David Cameron was saying, oh, it's time to move on from that. That was a long time ago. Let's let bygones be bygones. It's time to move on. The Jamaicans were saying, no, 
it's easy for you to say move on. I mean, the, the wealth, you know, this is something I talked about when Meghan Markle married Prince, uh, Prince Harry. And a lot of African Americans were sitting up there watching this display of opulence, and they were all teary-eyed, talking about their love. I'm like, what the hell does love have to do with this? The, the, the wealth that you see displayed was largely built upon the backs of enslaved Africans, exploiting their labor. What's love got to do with this? So, uh, let's see, in, in this article from AtlantaBlackStar.com, they talk about how, um, let's see here, when Britain abolished slavery, it provided reparations, not to slaves, but 17 billion pounds in compensation to slave owners in today's terms. 17 billion pounds in today's terms, not sure what that converts to in American dollars, uh, but I'll take it. Now, the compensation of Britain's 46,000 slave owners was the largest bailout in the country's history until the 2009 bank bailout, notes the Guardian, uh, the Guardian uh, British publication. And slave ownership was far more common than has been presumed. More than 800,000 emancipated Africans who received nothing picked up part of the tab as they were forced to work 45 hours of free labor each week for four years after they were supposedly free. Okay? So, um, the large uh, slave owners, let me see, the, uh, let's see. Okay, so check that out also. All right. Um, okay. Check out that article from uh, uh, AtlantaBlackStar.com, September 30th, 2015. Britain compensated 46,000 slave owners, but would not pay slavery reparations. David Cameron builds uh, builds Jamaican prison instead. All right, and we know that um, uh, Jamaica has uh, through um, there have been 14 Caribbean countries islands, things like this, that have sued uh, Great Britain for reparations. This happened a few years ago. Alright, we'll post this article also. Uh, okay. We have uh, Wright, Trina, Jackie, Kathleen, uh, a few people watching. Alright, let's continue here. Also, if you like this type of information, you can donate to the African History Network, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. That helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, uh, finance the Sunday night show, pay the bills, etc. Okay, and it helps when I have to travel, like I'll be in, well, well, I'll be July 13th, I'm in Chicago for the Black Agenda tour with uh, Michi X and Jice Johnson and David Banner. I'm on the panel. So, uh, and then I'm in Atlanta for the Black Homeschooling Conference that following week, that weekend of the 19th through the 21st. Georgia Piedmont Technical Center, Liberated Minds Black Homeschooling Education Expo. Okay, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show or at our website, africanhistorynetwork.com, africanhistorynetwork.com. Click, click on the yellow donate button on the home page. Okay, 
Alright, so let's continue here. And uh, let me post this. Alright. Waiting for this to load up again. Okay, so uh, so it was $26.2 million in today's dollars, okay? Well, sorry. It offered compensation of 46,000 slave owners at the cost of around $26.2 million, okay? So that's, that's not in today's dollars. I think that's in yesterday's dollars. It was 800,000 Africans they enslaved. Now, France went further by penalizing Haiti for the revolution that abolished slavery in its former colony of St. Dominique. It levied a huge sum on the island which crippled it in decades of debt. Former slaves were forced to pay uh, reparations or compensation to former slave owners in exchange for official recognition as the first black independent nation state in the Western Hemisphere. The long and insistent coupling of compensation for slave owners with emancipation is useful for consideration in current debates about reparations for the descendants of enslaved Africans. Critics and skeptics are fond of saying that enslaved people should have asked for uh, the compensation or reparations or recompense back then. Okay, this is this is an argument that you'll hear. Oh, well, they didn't uh, they didn't uh, ask for reparations back then, so why should we give it now? Now they don't say anything about the Homestead Act of 1862, which redistributed about 245 million acres of land for over a hundred years. The, and, and African Americans were largely shut out of that massive land giveaway after we worked the land for free for 246 years. The Homestead Act, you know, uh, History.com, which, which is the official website of the History Channel, they have a, a, an article dealing with the Homestead Act, okay? The Homestead Act of 1862. And they talk about how the last land allotment from the Homestead Act was allocated in 1988. It was 80 acres of land in Alaska allocated in 1988, not 1888, 1988. They gave away 240 million acres of land over the net over, over well past 100 years. But then you have people that say, "Oh, well they should have asked for reparations back then." These, these are some of the arguments that have been made and being made for years. Okay, so, but African Americans did ask for reparations going back to the colonial era. They petitioned for what were called freedom dues, freedom dues. They sued the states of former masters for their unrequited toil. And they asked for land to restart their lives as free men and women. Relatively few of, the, of those efforts were successful. This is how 40 Acres and the Mule came about because there was a meeting that General William T. Sherman and others had with about 20 or so uh, African American leaders at the time. This is in 1865. And they were asked, um, what, what do your people want the most? If they're going to be free, what do your people want the most? And they said they need land because the land was the foundation of freedom okay and because of that conversation this is how uh, special field order number 15 uh, comes about which is ostensibly known as 
40 acres and a mule. Let's see, Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr. has an article at, um, it originally appeared on theroot.com, but he has an article at pbs.org, public broadcasting system, pbs.org, called The Truth Behind 40 Acres and a Mule. The Truth Behind 40 Acres and a Mule. And even though, you know, I've talked about before, I disagree with him on certain things. He's not African-centered as well, but he does some good, re he does some good research. I've admitted that. I've read dozens of his articles. He does some good research. And then many people know him for his specials on PBS, like African Americans, Many Rivers to Cross. Well, this is the this is his companion book to it. I've read his book. You know, he has some good information. Now, he doesn't talk about the African presence in this country going back at least 51,700 years ago. He doesn't talk about the African wars that were here. Okay? But, you know, this is African Americans, Many Rivers to Cross. Uh, uh, Henry Louis Gates Jr. and Donald uh, Yokovic. This is the companion, this is the official companion book to the six part series. Uh, that they, they have a lot of good information in the series. The, the first installment was problematic. But, you know, they have some good information in, in the series also. But he talks about, uh, in this article, uh, he talks about how uh, this meeting took place and uh, with the with, with the African American leaders, okay, uh, and it says we have been taught in school that the source of the policy of forty acres and a mule was Union General William T. Sherman Special Field Order Number Fifteen, issued January Sixteenth, eighteen sixty-five. The account is half right. Sherman prescribed the forty acres in that order, but not the mule. The mule is going to come later, okay, and the, the mule was to be loaned to the former slaves. But what many accounts leave out is that this idea for massive land redistribution actually was the result of a discussion that General William T. Sherman and Secretary of War Edward, Edward, Edwin M. Stanton held four days before Sherman issued the order with 20 leaders of the African-American community in Savannah, Georgia, where William T. Sherman was headquartered following his famous march to the sea. The meeting was, un was unprecedented in American history. Okay, and uh, they goes on to talk about who came up with the idea. Here's how this radical proposal, which must have completely blown the minds of the rebel Confederates, actually came about. The abolitionist Charles Sumner and Thaddeus Stevens and other radical Republicans, Thaddeus Stevens was a senator, a uh, Republican senator, had been actively advocating land redistribution quote, to break the back of southern slaveholders' power, end quote, uh, as Myers observed. Now, but William T. Sherman's plan only took shape after the meeting that he had and uh, Edwin Stanton held with those black ministers at 8 p.m. on January 12, 1865, on the second floor of Charles Green's mansion on Savannah's Macon Street. In its, in its broadest strokes, 40 acres and a mule was their idea. This is, where, this, this is where this comes from. This comes from this meeting with these African-American leaders. And they're saying the most important thing our people need is land. If they're going to be free, they need land to be free on. Otherwise, they're going to continue to, they're going to, continue to work for white people, whatever it is. And, and they need to be land. They need land so they can be farmers, grow their own food, have a house on that land, own some land. Okay? This is what this was about.
So check out the rest of this, okay? Because this is a long article. I don't have time to get, get into all of it. Uh, but this gives a good background history on this debate. So this was a form, this was a form of reparations, okay? And this is so, but all these calls for reparations in the past, okay? Because people didn't just start talking about reparations last year. I just I want people to understand this, all right? All these calls for reparations in general largely fell on deaf ears or they were not carried out fully or they were reversed. This is what happened. Even the Black Freedmen India Treaties of 1866 that you've heard Dr. Claude Anderson talk about, you've heard me talk about it as well. Those former slaves, those black freedmen that are going to be compensated with land and money and get full citizenship full citizenship rights into the Native American tribes of the five civilized tribes of Native Americans, the Choctaw, Chickasaw Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians. That's going to be uh they're going to be kicked out of those treaties uh by nineteen forty one when the US government illegally conspires with the um five civilized tribes of Native Americans to redefine what a Native American is and, they, and, and, and the new law stated that uh, a Native American was based upon you having one quarter or one, or one quantum Native American blood but the previous treaties didn't state that alright yeah the five civilized tribes of Native Americans okay and, they, and that ties into it, that ties into the history of Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma because when uh, when the Indian Removal Act of, of 1830 signed in the law by President Andrew Jackson, the, Ch the Choctaw, Chickasaw Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians are pushed off their land in the southeastern United States. And they all go out west on the Trail of Tears over a thousand miles. They all go into Oklahoma. When they go into Oklahoma on the Trail of Tears, they take their black slaves with them because they all owned African slaves. Okay? And when the Civil War ends and uh, and Civil War ends, you have the Black Freedom Indian Treaties of 1866. Land is going to be reallocated or allocated uh, to um, these former slaves in the, in the Black Freedom. When we look at Tulsa, Oklahoma, Tulsa was founded by Creek Indians around 1836 who go into Oklahoma because they got pushed off of their land. And a lot of the early African-American slave owners in Tulsa are going to get land from these treaties. Okay? So that's, there's a rich, rich history in Tulsa, or in Oklahoma in general, but also Tulsa. Not only because of Black Wall Street in Tulsa, the business district that started with Greenwood, started at the intersection of Greenwood, Archer, and Pine. This is where the Gap Band gets its name from, GAP, because they're from Tulsa as well. It's not just that, it's the previous history of Tulsa, Oklahoma, as well, dealing with the Creek Indians and the enslaved Africans, etc. That history also. Yeah, the Dawes Allotment Act was 1887. That was a redistribution of 138 million acres of land. The Dawes Allotment Act, that was named after Senator Henry L. Dawes of Massachusetts. Henry, uh, Senator Henry L. Dawes, D-A-W-E-S, Senator Henry L. Dawes of Massachusetts. And 
that was supposed to redistribute that land basically to Native Americans and black Indians. But white people got two-thirds of the land because the Dawes Allotment Act was like uh, kind of like a census almost. And it was, um, you, you, it, it was a register where they recorded the names of the people in the various areas so they could see who would get the land. And to be put on the Dawes Rolls, you had to anglicize your name, okay? So what this did was when white people found out about this, they started paying $5 to have their names added to the roll. John Smith, David Christian, you know, and they were able to get some of this land allocation. And this is one of the reasons why the Native Americans started changing from um, like dark skin or darker skin to very light skin, almost white. Some of it is intermixing, but that's not all of it, no. You had a lot of white people who had their names added to these roles and pretended to be Native Americans, take, get that land, get that compensation. Um, and, and they were called $5 Indians. This is where this comes from, the Dawes Rolls. If you read, uh, uh, well, actually, you can go to Britannica.com. Britannica.com was the official website of Encyclopedia Britannica. They have an article there on the Dawes Rolls. I've read it. This is a good article. <laughs> they, t they tell you what happened. D-A-W-E-S, okay? Dealing with the, 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 the Dawes Allotment Act of 1887. This is another one of these massive land giveaways after the Civil War ended. Okay, let's continue here. So if you like, also, if you like this type of information, you definitely want to register for the uh, online course that I teach because I go deep into this history and a, a lot of additional, a lot of other stuff I can't, don't even have time to get into. But we deal with thousands of years of history. Um, next, the class is, uh, next class is Wednesday, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa understanding the transatlantic slave trade what they didn't teach you in school okay and we do the class live we do a live chat you can ask questions in the class I do a PowerPoint presentation we have book references uh, article references but also all the sessions are archived okay so as soon as you register you can watch the previous uh, sessions and there's about 36 hours of bonus content that you can watch as well okay so um, register so it's uh, only eighty dollars you can watch it over and over again, and uh, I mean, there's a lot of information here, and we'll post this link on our YouTube channel. Also, if you go to our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, right on the home page, click on that link as well. Uh, we have the information there. You can register, and that helps support the African History Network. But also, that platform that it's on, I gotta pay for that each month also, so it helps support that also okay <laughs> because it's not free for me to do it's not free for me to do the online course okay let's continue here so that that's the article the truth behind 40 acres and a mule the truth behind 40 acres and a mule okay let's go back to the one from um, New York Times once again the name of this article is from uh, Dr. Tara Tara Hunter when slave owners got reparations, when slave owners got reparations, Lincoln signed a bill in 1862 that paid up to $300 for every enslaved uh, free person. All right, a lot of people don't know this history. 
Okay, and then also I want to go to uh, archives.gov and the Library of Congress website because they have this information there as well. Archives.gov is the National Archives, so I do a lot of research there. They have a lot of this history documented. <coughs> and then LOC.gov is the Library of Congress website. So a lot of this, a lot of these historical documents you can go look at at um, loc.gov and archives.gov. Okay, so uh, an overwhelmingly majority of white people believed that slave owners, not enslaved African Americans, deserve compensation for the benevolence of manumission. The only reward that was widely supported for enslaved Africans was colonization, a trip back to Africa, okay? Which is funny because we were here before white people got here. Even, even you know, during slavery, you had immigrants coming to this country, white immigrants coming to this country. Well, you know, and, and then even after slavery ends, 1865, right? And you had immigrants coming here. Well, most of the enslaved Africans were here long before most white people's ancestors came here. So it's interesting that, it, you know, you look at this and say, wait a second, hold on. You exploited our labor for free, largely, for 246 years, and then you're going to give us a boat ride. <laughs> you, he said, hold on, wait a second, hold on. You generate billions, actually, it's hundreds of billions of dollars in revenue generated from cotton you generate we build the we build the white house we build the u.s capitol building you exploit our labor for 246 years and then you're gonna give us a boat ride that's that's gonna be the conversation all right so uh <laughs> the only reward that was widely supported was colonization the trip back to africa now the act allocated $100,000 for the voluntary removal of the newly freed people at $100 per person to go to Liberia or Haiti and that rarely happened. Now we know Liberia is going to be um, formed in 1821 by the American Colonization Society in the U.S. government, Liberia. Right? But, you know, it's it's um, when you, when you look at the fact that African people had been in this land at least 51,700 years, and this was our land stolen from us, you know, you have to ask the question, why do we have to be the ones who leave? I'm just saying, you know, uh, if you read, and I'm trying to find the book, I'm not sure where it went. I just had it. Uh, Dr. David M. Hotep's book. Let's see. The first Americans were Africans. The first Americans were Africans documented evidence. Oh, it's filled out here. Here it is. Yeah. The first Americans were Africans documented evidence. There's, there's archaeological evidence showing an African presence here going back at least 51,700 years. This is before Native Americans come into existence. African people were already here. So you have to ask the question, well, why should we have to be the ones who leave? You know, 
but okay, I'll continue. Now, I know there's new social media policies on YouTube and Facebook. This is not hate speech. We're dealing with history. This is not hate speech. We're dealing with history. Okay? All right, so preserving sacred property rights and moving the Negro problem offshore, because this is what Lincoln called it. Because Lincoln was also, Lincoln was comp contemplating sending free African Americans uh, to Central America or South America. Okay? And this was this was during the uh, this was during the Civil War. Uh, there's an article from the Root.com uh, dealing with this also. Uh, did Lincoln uh, something like did Lincoln want to send uh, African Americans back to Africa, so black people back to Africa, or something like that? Uh, I'll try to pull up the actual article. We'll post the links here um, in the thread of the broadcast. Um, the Root.com had this article. Uh, Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr. wrote this a few years ago. Because I read dozens of his articles when he used to write for The Root. I read dozens of his articles. He did a, um, uh, it's like a two-year series uh, dealing with uh, 100 Amazing Facts About the Negro. And each uh, week he would take, so we know Jay Rogers wrote that book, 100 Amazing Facts About the Negro. It's actually like a pamphlet. And each week, uh, Gates would write an article about one of those facts and go through, do the research, break it down. Okay? So I've read dozens of his articles. Did Lincoln want to ship black people back to Africa? Did Lincoln want to ship black people back to Africa? This is um, fact number 92 from 100 Amazing Facts About the Negro. When President Abraham Lincoln met with free black leaders in 1862, what did he propose? All right? So this is the article Gates wrote, uh, no, uh, January 5th, 2015. And he talks about, how, let's see here. Um, let me see. He, he talks about uh, Lincoln meeting with a group of free African Americans. Um, it was an African delegation, an African American delegation, okay? Let me see here. I'm waiting for this article to load. Uh, but Lincoln was contemplating. Lincoln's trying to figure out what do we do with this population. Okay. And he's contemplating sending them to... Uh, he's, so after reviewing the pros and cons of Africa as a destination, Lincoln started pushing Central America as his destination of choice. After all, he said Liberia was far from African Americans' birthplace or far, far from black people's birthplace in the United States. And even if they weren't all that fond of white people, he could understand wanting to be close to their forcibly adopted motherland. Okay? So check out this article as well. This goes, this goes deep, deep into that history. We'll post the link here on uh, YouTube and on Facebook. All right. So if we look at the, let's look at the National Archives, archives.com. They have an they have a section here. They have an article 
Um, the District of Columbia Emancipation Act. The District of Columbia Emancipation Act. On April 16, 1862, President Abraham Lincoln um, signed the bill ending slavery in the District of Columbia. All right. Passage of this law came eight and a half months before President Lincoln issued his Emancipation Proclamation. Now, the initial Emancipation Proclamation, keep in mind, the Emancipation Proclamation was a military strategy to bring the South back into the Union. That's what it was about. It wasn't about freeing the slaves. It was a military strategy uh, designed to bring the South back into the Union. And it was initially issued on September 22, 1862. And it stated basically that the, the states that were in rebellion, that were part of the Confederacy, their slaves would be set free on January 1st, 1863, unless they came back into the Union. It was a military strategy. Malcolm X talked about how Abraham Lincoln used freeing the slaves as a political football. This is what he was talking about. So then, January 1st, 1863, Lincoln issues what most people know as the Emancipation Proclamation. And it was stating basically that the enslaved, enslaved Africans in the states of rebellion in the Confederacy, they were free. But the states in rebellion seceded from the Union, set up their own government, the, the Confederate States of America. And they were no longer under the control of the U.S. Okay? So you don't have any authority over them. But it goes on to say, you know, it did, it, this did not apply to border states. It gave it all these exemptions. It gave exemptions to the border states. Maryland, Delaware, Kentucky, Missouri. Those slaves, you're still slaves. There were about a million that were still in the Union that were still enslaved Africans. So the Emancipation Proclamation did not free the enslaved Africans. It was the 13th Amendment of 1865, ratified December 6, 1865. That freed the enslaved Africans. This is why, once again, this um, study from the Southern Poverty Law Center, Teaching Hard History of American Slavery, Teaching Hard History of American Slavery is so important because it deals with this history, separates a lot of fact from fiction. Now, I didn't talk about the African presence in this country going back at least 51,700 years, but you can use supplemental implementation, but this is much better than a lot of what's being taught in schools now. Teaching Hard History of American Slavery by the Southern Poverty Law Center. You can um, visit that website, splcenter.org, splcenter.org, and just search for that. You can download it. Okay, so the um, District of Columbia Emancipation Act of 1862 brought to a conclusion decades of agitation aimed at ending what anti-slavery advocates call the national shame, the national shame of slavery in the nation's capital. It provided for immediate emancipation, compensation to former owners who were loyal to the union of up to $300 for each slave, voluntary colonization of former slaves to locations outside the United States, and payments of up to $100 for each person choosing immigration. Payments of up to $100 of each person choosing immigration. Over the nine months, the Board of Commissions appointed to administer the act approved 930 petitions, 
completely or in part for former owners for the freedom of 2,989 former slaves. Although the combination of emancipation, compensation to owners, and colonization did not serve as a model for the future, the District of Columbia Emancipation Act was an early signal of slavery's death. In the district uh, in Washington, D.C. itself, African Americans greeted emancipation with great jubilation. I can't say I blame them, okay? And I don't think anybody can blame them. I mean, you, I mean, you, so, I mean, some of us act like, you know, some of us act like that, 5 o'clock, Monday through Friday when we leave work. So I can't blame them for being, for celebrating that they were set free. Uh, for many years afterward, there's, there, they celebrated Emancipation Day on April 16th with parades and festivals there in, there in Washington, D.C., okay? Now, I'm not comparing, I don't want people to confuse what I'm saying, I'm not comparing us working 9 to 5, us having a regular job, even working for white people, I'm not comparing that to slavery. I've read slave narratives. That's not slavery. Okay, you can quit your job today. This send you your last check on Friday. You can keep your health 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 insurance for eighteen months. That's not slavery. I read slave narratives. Okay, so I'm not making the I'm not making the comparison, and I'm not I would not dishonor our ancestors and disrespect what they went through comparing that to slavery. That's not slavery because we see when when you ran away from the plantations. Oftentimes they would send slave catchers after you and they would have wanted posters up for you as well, okay, with a reward, all right. And this is something that uh, 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 George Washington did. Just you can see Dr. Erica Armstrong Dunbar, she wrote a book called Never Caught about Ona Judge. Ona Judge was a 22-year-old uh, runaway slave from the uh, Washington's plantation. And when she ran away, George Washington tried many times to get her back, and he, he, he sent out slave catchers after her, things like this. Okay, but read the article from the New York Times called "George Washington Slave Catcher." George Washington Slave Catcher that talks about this history. Okay, let's see here. Who we have? How's everybody doing on YouTube? LL Lewis, uh, Bill, uh, few of the people watching. Look up Slave Bible. Yeah, look up Slave Bible. And then also, I did a video about that Slave Bible. And I went deep into that history. Check that out. It's on YouTube and Facebook also, okay? All right, we'll go to some of your comments here in just a second. So post your comments. Very quickly, hey, if you all like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, paypal.me forward slash the AHN Show. Paypal.me forward slash the AHN Show or at our website, africanhistorynetwork.com, okay? All right, so we have a, uh, some new advertisers, African-American business owners. Post the name of your business here on the thread of the broadcast. And you can also email us at customerservice at africanhistorynetwork.com. Customerservice at africanhistorynetwork.com. We'll let you know how you can advertise with the African History Network. Uh, Dark Magentis uh, specializes in creating home spa products based on nature's healing and soothing properties. Dark Magentas carries essential oil and cannabidiol infused bath bombs, shower steamers, sugar scrubs, and soaps, which include oils, herbs, and uh, oils and herbs such as lavender, rosemary, eucalyptus, sage, cedarwood, oatmeal, shea butter, and more. 
They also carry oil diffusers and 100% pure essential oils. Visit their website darkmagentas.com. M-A-G-E-N-T-A-S. Darkmagentas.com and indulge in these treats for the body and the mind. So we used to see the commercial Calgon take me away. Well, Dark Magentas can take you away also. All right. Okay, let's go to, um, let's see here. Let's look at some of your comments here on YouTube. Then we'll go to Facebook. Uh, L.L. Lewis, okay, Slave Catchers. Uh, Bill Ann, using force to make people do your bidding of is slavery. Uh, they use force on your job. <laughs> Today, you quit your job today, man. They send your last check on Friday. I, I ain't never. I've read slave narratives. I ain't never heard about them during slavery. Okay, Trey. Uh, Trey Lee said, Dr. Kevin Cosby, president of Simmons College in Kentucky, and HBCU is fighting with white Southern Baptists to get reparations right now. Yeah, I met. You know, the black, um, the all black national convention that Boyce Watkins does two years ago. It was at Simmons College in uh, Kentucky. I was there for that. And I was uh, on one of the panels also. Uh, let's see. Okay, we got Doc Jerv. Uh, who else we have here? Okay, just a few of the people there. Let's look at Facebook. How you all like this type of information? Let me know how you all like this type of information over here. All right, and then uh, on Sunday night show, you know, um, Sunday, June 23rd, my radio show, the African History Network show, I talked about, one of the things I talked about was uh, HR 40, the HR 40 hearing, okay? And then I talked about, um, I didn't get a chance to talk about how the GI Bill discriminated against African Americans, okay? So we'll deal with that, but also I talked about how um, Joe Biden's, Vice President Joe Biden's comments about working with segregationists were being misrepresented. And I talked about Cory Booker, okay? Now you got some of the Captain Senator Kamala Harris totally misrepresenting what Joe Biden said. I'm going to break that down on this show because, see, what Cory Booker is doing what Senator Kamala Harris is doing, and what also, we have to be honest, Reverend Al Sharpton is doing, is totally disingenuous and totally misrepresenting uh, what Joe Biden said. And what I find very interesting is, is these, none of these people want to admit that the two segregationist senators that Joe Biden was talking about working with were both Democrats. So I find it, I, I find it hard to believe on multiple levels that people don't want to tell this truth. He was talking about working with people you, you, you totally disagree with, but you are sent there on behalf of your constituents and you got to work with them to get bills passed. These were two Democrats he was talking about working with. And I don't understand why Senator Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, and Al Sharpton are not talking about this. His comment of the term boy, that wasn't dealing with black men. That was dealing with white men. And it's been totally misrepresented. And I, I can't figure out why. 
I don't understand why. I'm going to break that down. I'm going to provide the evidence. I talked about last Sunday's show and provided evidence. It's even worse now. And nobody wants to tell the truth about this. Nobody wants to tell the truth about this. So you don't, you don't, you don't want to miss a Sunday show, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Because I'm going to get deep into this. We have some other segments to get to, but I'm going to deal with that also. Because this, this is a bunch of BS right here. This is but this, this this that little Academy Award winning uh, performance she did, and then right after that they got the T-shirts with I was that little girl. This is a bunch of bullshit. I'm telling y'all right now, and I like Kyla Harris, but I don't like bullshit, and I don't like people deceiving our people. So I'm gonna break this stuff down. I don't have time to get into it now. You don't wanna miss the night show. This is some nonsense right here. And very few people are calling this out. I don't know why they're not calling it out. But see, I don't get paychecks from none of them. I don't, I don't get paychecks from the, these different entities. I'm supported by our people so I can tell you the truth. Okay? Alright, let's see what happened here on Facebook. Let me see. We still on Facebook. Can y'all hear me? Alright, let's get... Okay. Can't see you or hear you. Okay, Facebook is frozen. All right. Okay. But luckily, I'm recording because I knew something like this was going to happen. I'm recording on my video camera also. So all this is captured on my video camera. All right, guys. Um, let me see here. What are we doing on YouTube? Wait to reconnect. Stand by. Okay, can y'all hear me on? Can y'all hear me on YouTube? I'm trying to see. I'm broadcasting through Crowdcast, which allows me to broadcast on Facebook and YouTube at the same time. Um, but I'm trying to see what happened here. Uh, it's trying to reconnect. Okay. Okay, but uh, let's continue here. I'm gonna wrap up. Let's continue. Okay, so every Sunday, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, WFDF, uh, the African History Network show. We broadcast on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, and uh, we upload it to our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotel. Be sure to follow us on, on both of those social media platforms. Turn on the notifications also so you know when we go live. Um, you can donate to the African History Network, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Um, or at our website um, africanhistorynetwork.com register for the online course that I teach ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa understanding the transatlantic slave trade what they didn't teach in the school next class will uh, be Wednesday 8pm Eastern Standard Time we deal with thousands of years of history also and then also you can visit africanhistorynetwork.com the information is there as well okay um, all right, so, we, so we have the article from the National Archives the District of Columbia Emancipation Act District of Columbia Emancipation Act and uh, why is this okay it's trying to load we'll see something here and was it one other thing okay then also 
the uh, Library of Congress has an article as well dealing with this history. Uh, abolition in District of Columbia, April 16, 1862, Lincoln signed an act abolishing slavery in the District of Columbia, an important step in the long road toward full emancipation of uh, uh, full emancipation and 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 enfranchisement for African Americans. Okay, and they cited um, a runaway slave named Charles Ball. Now Charles Ball wrote a book, uh, wrote a wrote a slave narrative um, called Fifty Years in Chains, or the Life of American Slave, and that was republished about 1859-1860. It was originally published. Um, about 1836 or so, okay? And it, uh, this uh, article from the Library of Congress website says, before 1850, slave pens, slave jails, and auction blocks were common, were a common sight in the District of Columbia, uh, a hub of the domestic slave trade. In the words of one slave uh, who worked in the words of one slave who worked for a time in the district's navy yard, uh, this slave said, quote, I generally went up into the city to see the new and splendid buildings, often walked as far as Georgetown, and made many new acquaintances among the slaves and frequently saw large numbers of people of my color chained together in long trains and driven off towards the south. All right. So the article goes on to say, as slavery became less profitable in the border states, many traders purchased slaves and shipped them into uh, the deep south. In cities such as New Orleans, slaves often were resold at a higher price to cotton, rice, and indigo plantation owners. Abolitionist petition Congress. Abolitionist petition Congress in 1828 to abolish the district's uh, notorious slave trade. Yet, despite the efforts of John Quincy Adams, okay, uh, who's the sixth president, John Quincy Adams, son of the second president, John Adams, uh, despite the efforts of John Quincy Adams and others, the U.S. Congress gagged discussion of the issue for nearly 20 years. Okay. Now, in 1849, Illinois' Congressman Abraham Lincoln attempted to introduce a bill for gradual emancipation of all slaves in the district in Washington, D.C. Although the district slave trade ended the following year, his emancipation um, uh, attempt was aborted by Senator John C. Calhoun and others. Okay. Now, as uh, Lincoln was better able to affect the issue, he saw slavery as morally wrong, yet, yet held it to be an institution dying upon its own weight, to be abolished by voter consent. But as Commander-in-Chief, but as Commander-in-Chief or President, Abraham Lincoln also realized the military expediency of emancipation. He abolished slavery in the Capitol five months prior to issuing his preliminary Emancipation Proclamation. The law he signed eventually provided district slaveholders compensation for 2,989 slaves. 21 years later, on April 16, 1883, Frederick Douglass spoke at a commemoration of abolition in the district. 
he called attention to African Americans' continued struggle for civil rights. He said, it is easy to break forth in joy and, and thanksgiving for emancipation in the District of Columbia, to call up the noble sentiments and the starting events which made that measure possible. It is easy to trace the footsteps of the Negro in the past, marked as they are all the way along with blood. Marked as they are all the way along with blood. But the present occasion calls for something more. How, how stands the Negro today? Okay, that's uh, Frederick Douglass in 1883. So check this out. This is from the Library of Congress, LOC.gov. Uh, this is a segment today in history, April 16th, okay? And this deals with the District of Columbia uh, Abolition Act. All right, and we'll post this, uh, we'll post this here also, okay? All right, African-American business owners, email us at customerservice at africanhistorynetwork.com. We'll let you know how you can advertise with the African History Network. We know summer is finally here and people are trying to get back into shape. The Fast Life 28-Day Challenge can help you. Visit their website, tfl28.com, tfl28.com. This Fast Life Challenge is an on online co coaching program to help members tap into their body's natural ability to repair itself via fasting. In this challenge, they focus on utilizing fasting, whole foods, and movement to improve metabolic conditions such as obesity, high blood pressure, prediabetes, type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol, and more. They have three coaches who will help you. They also have a secret Facebook group as well. They have a new group starting up uh, on July 8th. Visit their website, tfl28.com, tfl28.com, for more information and to sign up. All right, hey, look, we have to get out of here. Uh, visit our website, africanhistorynetwork.com, africanhistorynetwork.com. All of my DVD lectures are there. We have some new presentations that I've done also, like dealing with the history, the real history of Juneteenth. Uh, Black Migration, 1619 to 2019, from the birth of a nation to the, uh, the Great Migration to the Detroit Race Riot in 1943. Ancient Africans in America, before Native Americans, Columbus or slavery from uh, Kemet to Wakanda. Uh, also, there's one that I did um, a few months ago dealing with uh, how they're dealing with the history of uh, African Americans in horse racing, how black jockeys dominated horse racing, how bl when black men dominated horse racing, and how they were pushed out of it as well. Okay, that's all at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right, look, we have to get out of here. Remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. Remember, right now is correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.